wonderful things that we've been talking about. But I'm going to read from Psalm 19 now. And uh, so the Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible if you're looking through one and you're not quite sure. That's okay. Psalm 19 is um, sort of in the middle there, the middle book, the biggest book in the Bible. And we're going to read verses 1 through 14 right now of Psalm 19, and then we'll pray, and then we'll have a couple of thoughts here. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. I'm going to stop there and look at the rest of the psalm in a minute. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you this morning to be a part of your creation, to be able to say wow to the wonderful things that you've made, and to even see that expression of that in our own creativity, in our own work, in our time with our family, in our recreation, our work, our play, our rest, all of these good things that we see in this world, Lord, are a reflection of your goodness. Lord, we also know that the world we live in is broken, that there's something wrong. And we look at this song, to, this psalm today to see that the problem starts with us missing your glory, missing out on the fact that you are the God of wow. So would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you fill us with wonder over your creation, but even greater wonder, greater amazement, greater worship and awe at what Christ has done to bring us back to you? And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we've been thinking about creation, there's an old hymn that came to my mind, actually just last night as I was getting ready. And it's a hymn called, This Is My Father's World. How many of you know that one? Old one. Maybe you sang it in church growing up. Listen to the first verse. The hymnist says, This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears... All nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hands, these wonders, wrought. Isn't that beautiful? To consider what God is communicating to us through creation. Why is it that when we go on vacation and we want to go out and see the mountains or the ocean Maybe not the desert so much all the time. We want to get out and see the world. We want to get out from our homes and from our office places and from our places of work. We want to get away. We want to see something unique. And there is so much of it to see, isn't there? And it all belongs to Him, the God of glory. And so the title for our message this morning is The Glory of God in Creation and The Glory of God in Us. And what this psalm is pointing us to in the beginning is the idea of us hearing the voice of creation, hearing the sounds, hearing the songs of the stars and of the trees and the skies, 
all pointing to the glory of their creator. That in one sense, as the trees blow in the breeze and as the birds sing in your garden in the morning, they're all singing the song of God's own glory to the God of wow. Look at this first six verses with me for a moment. In verse 1, we see the repetition that the Psalms often show us line by line. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Listen to the words that the psalmist uses. Declaring, proclaiming, pouring out speech. We talked about that last night, kids. Do you remember our experiment last night with that blue stuff called what? Who remembers what it was called? Elephant toothpaste. And you remember what happened when we poured the yeast in the water into the concoction of hyd- what was it? hydrogen peroxide and soap? What happened? Did it all just sit there? Yeah, that's right! Thank you! It all overflowed! It all poured out! And the Bible tells us that creation itself pours out the speech of how amazing God is. Night by night, day by day, never stopping, always proclaiming the goodness and the wonder of who God is. And the last one that he uses in this phrase is that night to night they reveal knowledge. Do you know there's something for us to learn from creation? We often look at ourselves and say, we are the apex species on the earth, right? We are the most important. We are the smartest. And that's true. No other part of creation was made in God's image. But sometimes we might look at, the, look at nature and look at all the rest of creation and think they have nothing to teach us because we figured it all out. But the Bible says that the skies and the heavens are actually pouring forth knowledge night by night. I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's been my habit often at nighttime after a long day to just either sit in my sunroom or, or sit outside or wherever we could sit and just look at the sky and consider that God has made all of it. And that this knowledge that the sky at nighttime is pouring out to us is this peaceful calm, this, this control that is far beyond my own reach. Especially after a long day where I've thought, I will, really wish that things would just go my way a little bit more. God's creation tells us that we are not in control. There is someone greater than us. There is a higher power that we need to know more about. The psalmist then talks about the sun. Now, you know, in a lot of ancient cultures, and some cultures today, the sun is actually worshipped as a god, right? And the Bible tells us that there is only one god, and it's not the sun. The sun is just another part of creation, right? But the sun does have a role, and according to Psalm 19, the sun is the one that goes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber with excitement, with joy, and anticipation for the wedding, The sun is like a strong man running his course with joy. I don't know if many of you in here are runners or have ever been runners or have no idea how the word running and joy could ever go together unless there's a knot in between. But there was this guy in the early 1900s who was an Olympic runner from England. He was a Scottish man, actually. And if you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, this is the most quoted line from the movie, especially preachers love this line. But Eric Little, in explaining what it's like to run, said that when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. I feel his happiness. I feel his joy. His satisfaction is unique in that moment. Because, Eric Little goes on to say, that this is what God made him to do. And when he does what God made him to do, 
He can sense that God is pleased with him, right? You know, we have all sorts of appliances. We have our phones. We have all of our gadgets, all you know, tables, chairs, all sorts of things. And what makes us upset about these things? When they don't do what they were meant to do. And so we find our problem, just like the problem of when our cell phone battery dies or something goes wrong with something of our own, when they're not doing what they're supposed to do, the joy is gone, the pleasure is absent. There's no purpose, it would seem, unless they, that particular created thing fulfills its created design, its created purpose. So it is with us. And so the Son shows us in creation that everything has been created with purpose by someone. This is my Father's world. The birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their Maker's praise. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear Him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. When it comes to observing nature and seeing the stars and the skies and space, the universe, and all the glory of it, the purpose of our looking and gazing and saying, wow, at nature and creation, is to bring us to a point where we might say, I need to discover who it is that made all of this. And I need to not only discover that person, but I need to make sure that things are okay between me and that person, whoever that might be. And my friends, that is what creation does. That is its ultimate goal. If we were to have VBS and to just simply say, isn't it amazing? You can look out the sky and see that God exists. Okay, cool. See you next year. That's not the Christian message. That's not the message of the Bible even. That's only a small part of it. You know, in our, in our culture today, we often will think, hey, I can be a good person if I just simply believe that God exists. The book of James in the New Testament tells us, if you say, hey, I believe that God exists, yeah, you're right. There's a problem with that. Because even the demons, the enemies of God, know that he exists. But they tremble. They realize that something is not right between them and God. And it creates fear. It creates concern. It creates alarm. And my friends, I know, in 2022, we want to do everything we can to get away from fear, don't we? Everything we can to get away from discomfort. Everything we can to get away from alarm. All of our problems, all of our concerns, all of our challenges in life... Boy, wouldn't it be nice to just come to church on Sunday morning and have a slice of pizza and just think everything's okay for a few hours? Everything's not okay. Even in the beauty of creation, you might say, wow, the world is just so beautiful. How could anything be wrong? We only have to come back and start looking more horizontally to realize that there's a lot wrong. You can see all over the brokenness of our creation. You can see that there's so much wrong. We don't even need to go through the list of it. But people are harming each other. They're killing each other. They're stealing things. We're self-absorbed. We are all very, very much affected by this thing the Bible calls sin. Now, this psalm that starts off so beautifully is amazing. It's, the category of psalm that it is is actually a lament. And that is a song of sorrow, a song of sadness. It doesn't really sound too sad. I mean, we're using the first verse for VBS for crying out loud, right? It can't be that sad of a psalm. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. How wonderful. But the psalmist is going to show us in a second here that there's this problem, there's this brokenness. In the end of this psalm, he says, keep back your servants also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. 
In verse 14, he says, Let's let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. The psalmist realizes something is wrong. And it starts with where he started, with creation. In another psalm, Psalm 53, the Bible says, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's any who understand, any who seek after God. But they've all fallen away. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. God, who has made this amazing handiwork for us to be able to look up and say, there must be a God, and I need to know him. I need to know that everything's okay. God is also looking down, and he's saying, who is it out there who is responding to my message? Who is it that is relaying the signal? God, I hear you. Tell me what to do. And the Bible says something that's going to really rattle some of our hearts. None of us respond to God. All of us have become corrupt. In our sin, we have not only fallen far away from Him, but we have desired to stay far away from Him. And even those upward glances that we would look at creation and the stars and space and still say, wow, that's pretty neat. But I will not consider who this God might be. I will not consider who the Creator might be. I will even embrace a theory, a system of beliefs that says that everything just happened by chance and that we all started in a primordial soup that grew up into everything with no purpose. My friends, you can't believe that. You know that you have a purpose. You've got to figure out what that is. And sin has distorted that purpose from us. It has made us corrupt. It has made us fall away from all that is good. Psalm 53 says that God looks, but no one gives the right response. See, the good thing is not about us doing good things for people, helping people out, being a good person, however you define that on your own. The Bible tells us that doing good is to look to God first and say, what do you need me to do? How do I know everything's right between us? And then how do I live out my purpose? How do I embrace whatever you've created me for so that I can sense your pleasure as I do it? Our sin problem begins with missing the glory of God, with missing the God of wow. Our sin takes this title, God of wow, and turns him into the God of eh. Says he's not much. He's not worth looking into. He's not worth thinking about. He's certainly not worth knowing. And God, knowing that our hearts would come to such a terrible place where we would say, I want nothing to do with this good God of creation, and I'm going to just live my life The Bible says that apart from Christ, we kind of just live like, hey, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. And I don't know what's going to happen then, but let's make sure we have a good time here while we're here. God actually acts in one of the most, in the most incredible and unexpected ways. He doesn't simply grab a megaphone and say, hey, listen up. He actually sends his son not only to come and say, Hey, listen, I've been trying to talk to you for thousands and thousands of years and you're not listening to me. The Bible tells us in John 1, 14 that Jesus, the Son of God, who is called the Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. It would be as if when he came, it would be as if he was sitting at the table next to you and you wouldn't even notice that it was him. And yet it was the God of creation, Jesus Christ, who became flesh, who lived among us. And the writer John says, because he's done this, we have seen his glory. The glory of the only begotten Son from the Father. And he's full of... Oh no, what is he full of? Is he full of anger? Is he full of judgment? Is he full of wrath? 
Those are all there. Those are all things that we have to deal with. But when Jesus comes, he doesn't come to bring wrath and justice and and judgment on the earth. He comes to take that for himself. To take it upon himself. John says that we've seen the glory of the Son of the Father and he's full of grace and full of truth at the same time. What is grace? It is getting a good thing that we don't deserve. We, the creation who has decided to not look up at God, to not consider who we might be, who have turned to our own way and kept our heads down and tried to do our own thing and deserve the wrath of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The kids learned this last night. They learned that our sin problem is bigger than just not being a good person. We learned that we need grace, that good thing that we don't deserve. We need the truth. We need light to shine on us so that we can know what's really going on. We can no longer sit in the darkness and believe our own lies that we could tell ourselves or that others in the world would tell us. We have to know what God has to say. And so Jesus came and he lived a perfect life contrary to us. He lived the life of being able to look up and say, Father, what is your will? What shall I do next? Rather than me saying, I want to do my own will. And that will of God that Jesus, that, that he had for Jesus led him to a cross to die a brutal death of a murderer on your behalf. So that if you'll believe that he's done that for you, if you'll turn from sin, turn from your old way of living, you can have eternal life in him. That is the good news. The good news is not, hey, God's angry with you. Get your act figured out. Get your life together. Start coming to church on a week besides VBS. What's wrong with you people? It's not the gospel, my friends. The gospel is this. You're a sinner. You deserve punishment. I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. But in this moment right now, what God wants to do is not to pour out his wrath and his anger because we know if that's what he wanted, he would do it. Instead, he wants to give you an opportunity to respond in faith and to say, if Jesus died at the cross for me, I need to learn more about that. I need to find out why. I need to find out what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to respond. And that there's nothing more important than that. We need to see what it is that God actually has for us in Christ, who, again, was called the Word of God. And now we also call the Bible the Word of God. And so we understand that this book has the authority of Jesus' voice. And listen what this Psalm 19 tells us about the Word of God. There are three things I want to give you. Three main things in verses 7 through 8. We'll see the nature and effects of what happens when God speaks to us. In verse 9, we see the authority and power of God speaking to us. And in verse 10, 11, we see the value and benefits of God speaking to us. So listen to this and think about those things here. The nature and effects, the authority and power, the value and benefits. Verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect. His word is perfect. It doesn't miss anything. It revives the soul. How many of us here need our souls revived? I think even if you don't know what that means, you would have to say, yes, there's something wrong with my soul. And reviving it sounds like the thing that I need. The effect of the perfect nature of God's word revives our souls. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. How many of us would say we need joy in our hearts? We're made to have joy in our hearts. That's why VBS looks really weird if you don't have that joy in your heart. Because we're singing to a God that we don't know. But the word of God brings that joy, that rejoicing into our heart. 
And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. How many of us feel like we can't see the way we ought to see, see the world and see ourselves and see each other, that there's something blinding us, there's something in the way? The word of God enlightens our eyes. Those are, that is the nature and effect. Now listen to the authority and power in verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean. Again, we don't like fear, do we, in 20? We don't want to do anything with fear. The fear of God, that's an ancient thing that should be far away from us. But let me tell you this. When your kid starts to try to walk across the street without looking both ways, and it's a busy street, and there's a car coming, you want him to be afraid, don't you? You want to pull him out and say, what are you doing? You can't run out of the street. You have to be afraid of that. And if we don't make ourselves right with God, we have something far worse to fear. And so the fear of the Lord is clean. It purifies us. That authority of knowing that if I'm not right with God, nothing can possibly be right. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God is not wrong to put that fear in our hearts. Because there can be no good apart from Him. And all we want is good things, right? Nobody woke up today saying, I hope something terrible happens today. But there can be no good apart from God. Verses 10 through 11, we see the value and benefits of God speaking to us. Moreover, by, oh, sorry, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. See, when you come to the word of God, after thinking about fear, you might be like, okay, I'm just going to be shaking in my boots every time I read the Bible. But in fact, in saying, Lord, you're in charge. That's what fear means. It just means I say, he's in charge, not me. When I live like I'm in charge, I'm saying, I'm not afraid of anybody. It's all about me. I'm an American, right? But when we live in the fear of God, what we actually see is that his word is more to be more desired than even gold. That it is sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And by them, our servant, your servant is warned, the psalmist says to God. In keeping them, there is great reward. God does not just simply say, live life the way I want you to because I said so. Although he would be perfectly right to do so. But in fact, he wants to give you a reward and that reward is himself. That reward is knowing this God that the heavens declare and having that joy in your heart, having that new life that your sins are forgiven, that you have no fear of punishment and that you have only hope of glory and endless joy in Christ. The Bible tells us that when Jesus went to the cross, he went for the joy that was set before him. Because when he went to the cross, he went to the cross for you. He went to the cross to make you his, if you will believe. The value and benefits of God speaking to us are far greater than we ever imagined. In those moments where we say, yeah, you know what, I should read my Bible, but I think something else has a greater benefit for me. There is no greater benefit than hearing from God. Yes, creation speaks to us, but it speaks to us in the way that it comes down to this. There is a God, and you need to hear directly from him. So what do we do? Since his glory is revealed to us in Christ, by his word spoken to us, we press on to know him and to make him known. Listen to verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? That is speaking of God. Does God mess anything up? No. And then his prayer, declare me innocent from hidden faults. I can't declare myself innocent. I can't, I can't be the judge of my own right and wrong. Someone else has to do that. It has to be God himself. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Do you think, what do you think God's response is to that kind of request? Father, I'm coming before you humbly. I recognize you are a God in the, in, in the heavens. I am just a small, tiny worm in comparison. Declare me innocent. Do something to make me right. What's God's response? 
well, if you can figure this thing out here, maybe, maybe I'll do that for you. If you can start living a little bit better, if you can stop that terrible habit you have, if you can start speaking, no, you can't clean your life up. He will declare you innocent by the blood of Christ that the Bible tells us cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. Verse 13 says, keep your servant back from presumptuous sins. Those are the sins that say, I'm ignoring the glory of God and doing whatever I want. The prayer of the person who has recognized who God is and recognized what he's done in Christ for us is the one that says, Lord, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to keep on living as though I don't know who the God of wow is. I want to live in light of who the God of wow is. Let them not have dominion over me because you have dominion. You're the ruler. And then when things are right, I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. You know, you're allowed to say that about yourself if you're in Christ. You're allowed to say, I am innocent. I am clean of all transgressions. I don't have any guilt on me anymore. And for the rest of my life, I have no fear of punishment because Christ has taken that punishment for me. That is glorious. And the glory of creation reaches to us through Christ, showing us not just that God is a brilliant creator, but that he is a brilliant recreator, that he is a giver of new life in him, that that starting over that we all need goes far deeper than us just saying, I need a new job, I need a new house, I need a new spouse, I need a new friend, I need a new dog. All those things are minuscule. God says, I'm going to give you a new heart, a real fresh start. And with that confidence, confidence that you no longer need to fear the results of your life because the results are secured in Christ. If you'll believe in him, if you'll put your faith in him, your trust in him, to stop saying, I'm going to make myself right, to stop saying God doesn't matter, and to say there is nothing more important. If I, as a parent, were to get to the point where I would say, I would let one of my children die for another person, what kind of person would that be? They would have to be someone far more amazing than either of my kids, far more amazing than my wife, far more amazing than anyone I could ever imagine for me to be willing to say, here's my child, let them die in your stead. And I think every parent in here would say, there's no way, I cannot imagine, and yet this is what God has done for you. God has given his only son to die in your place, to die the death of a traitor so that you might have the life that the Savior has for you. The psalm closes in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Put your hand on your throat real quick, everybody. I know we're in VBS right there. And then say, uh, or say something. I don't know. You can feel that vibration. Yeah? I've been feeling it a lot because I can't stop talking, apparently. The words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the things that I'm thinking, the things that I'm speaking. The Bible says that out of our, out of our hearts, our mouth speaks. Our mouth speaks the things that are inside of our hearts. And the psalmist says, I can no longer live, I can no longer speak, I can no longer think the way I used to. If I know that God has done this miraculous salvation in my life, there's no way I can start talking or living like I used to. Sure, I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm not going to become a perfectly 100% holy Christian after hearing the gospel. But the Bible says that we grow day by day. As we walk with him, he makes us more and more like Christ. And so we walk in that confidence that he's working in us. The psalmist says, let these things be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Is the Lord your rock? Is the Lord your redeemer? Has he bought you back from your old life and made you his? Is he your rock? Is he your foundation? The thing that you go back to? 
we love to call our spouses, our best friends, our, our kids, even our dogs. Man, that Sparky is my rock, right? He's my rock. He's the one I can always depend on. You're not always going to be able to depend on your dog. You're not always going to be able to depend on your spouse. You're not always going to be able to depend on your best friend. The psalmist tells us that Christ alone is our rock and our redeemer. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you this morning that you are good. We thank you that you are kind, that you are patient. Even our sitting in this room right now is evidence of your patience and your goodness to us. Every time we take a breath, every time we feel that vocal chamber in our throats making sound to communicate with each other, as we, as we eat lunch this afternoon, as we watch our kids play, as we look out into the sky, all these things in creation point to us the fact that you are a God of wow, you are a God of glory. But Lord, we need to respond to that rightly. Because we know that when we see you for who you are, we're going to see ourselves for who we are. There's not a person in this room that is acceptable to you on their own. And I praise you for that, Lord, because if we were, we would never know how much you really love us. There would never be opportunity for Christ to die for sinners if there weren't sinners. And so you and your miraculous wisdom that we could never fathom have decided to allow the fall so that the glory of your son Jesus would come into this world and we would see him for who he is and we would know the wonderful love that you have for us. I pray, Lord, for my friends in here who maybe don't know you, maybe have been going to church for a little bit or maybe haven't been in church for years, maybe people that are those that have a Bible on their shelf that is collecting dust and then maybe they just feel guilty right now thinking, man, this guy just wants me to become a Christian and become another number, become another congregant. Lord, that's not what you want. That's not what I want. We want what you have for us, Lord. We want life and abundant life in Christ. We want freedom from our sins so that we can walk in light of the glory that you've shown us through Jesus. So I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your love on each and every one of us, your people and those that maybe aren't, so that they might know, so that we might come to you freely and say, Lord, I need you. You are the God of wow. Would you save me? Would you make me right by what Jesus has done? Would you save me from presumptuous sins, from acting like you're not really that big of a deal? Lord, give us that life where we recognize that you are the sun in the center of our solar system and that you are good. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.